Hi, I'm Scott. And I'm Seth. And we are track walking. This week, uh, we're going to talk about imposter syndrome. Yeah. Which, I don't know, it was kind of in the zeitgeist a few years ago. I remember, like, you know, comedians were talking about imposter syndrome. Kind of everybody was. And I think it's particularly applicable in race car-ing. Um, Seth, what do you, th- like, if you were to define imposter syndrome, how would you do it? That would be the feeling that you uh, don't belong through lack of qualifications in the thing that you're doing. Um, so, like, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not good enough to be here. Everybody's going to figure out that I'm as bad at this as I think I am, and the whole world's going to come tumbling down. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, damn. Yeah, I don't think I can, I don't think I can do better <laughs> than you did. Yeah, I think it's, I think especially, like, the the hallmark is, like, X, Y, and Z people are going to find out Right. Like that there's and then like there'll this, be and then there'll be a consequence, right? Yes. Like as soon as they find out perceived this is right. Boy, we're jumping like straight into this one. All right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. So let's so where does it start, I guess? Like I mean we're we're race <laughs> we pretend we're a race car podcast and we're going race carring and you show up to a track for your first time. I think it's there like before you get there. Or at least it could be. Certainly. Maybe like I also I don't want to say like I have less of this than than I feel like other people do. People are like, "Ah, oh, I feel like I have imposter syndrome." And I'm like, "I just feel like I don't know what I'm doing and I'm very open about that fact." <laughs> um <Sure. laughs> And and it's it's not until people start asking me questions that I'm like, what the hell are you doing? Like, I have an answer for you, but why me? And then I start to get worried. Like, that's when I start to worry. I'm like, whoa, if people are looking up to me, we're all in a heap of shit right here. Mm. Um, And that's when I get worried about stuff. When people think that you know something. Yeah, like when everybody looks at me and they're like, oh, but you're in charge, right? And I'm like, good God, I hope not. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what I like about you. The un unwitting leader. Unwitting. No, and guru. we did that. I, I talked earlier in the season or the oh, season, yeah. if we have seasons of shows where we did a motorcycle day and I sort of divided the groups up um, only because it was like I was just trying to create a safer environment. Yeah, you were the race director that day. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, everybody's like, oh, you're in charge. And I was like, I am absolutely not in charge. I would just like you guys to make a decision that keeps us all from getting hurt. Mm. And they're like, so you're in charge, right? <laughs> no, listen to me. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, that was that was a moment where, so they're like, so you're going to be at the next one, right? And I'm like, I don't think so, because y'all are going to have to do this by yourselves. So is that you actually feeling imposter syndrome or are you protecting against 
even being perceived as anybody who would have anything to pretend like he doesn't have. I, I think that's it. Like, like when I say I don't really do imposter syndrome, I think when I feel it coming on, I immediately go, like I immediately own up to the fact that I have no idea what's going on. Like I, I have, I really don't hold that, that thing where, where I, where I feel like I'm pretending to do something to avoid consequences, I'm more I'm more likely to get to the point where it looks like that might happen. And so I immediately back off. I'm like, no, not me, not in charge, don't know what's going on. And so that I don't get into that situation. And I don't think one is better than the other, but I live a fairly consequence-free life with that sort of stuff i mean i can back off other than like taking care of my children where i like i have to be the guy in charge right um everything else in life i can just back off and be like nope not me not in charge you guys have fun (laughs) um because i don't have you know normally if you have if you're employed or you know the the stuff you do where you're you're instructing um and your payment for instructing is then getting track time, you know, the With the organizations that, yeah. yeah, the organizations that do that sort of thing where like, like you really, there, there's a consequence to just being like, yeah, I'm garbage at this. Somebody else will have to do it because like you have to have a paycheck and you like, you've already agreed, like, I'm going to be an instructor. I'm going to do it well, you know, in, in exchange for, for my time that I'm on track in grid life. Um, so and yeah, sorry, good. No, I, I protect myself from that. I, I seldom, if ever, put myself in a situation where there are consequences for my uh incompetence or my my perception of my own incompetence. Right. Um it's really easy for me to just walk away and be like, All right, you guys have fun, I'm doing something else. And I think that's likely I think probably one of the hallmarks of imposter syndrome is perceived expectations. Yeah. Um, And I say perceived expectations because while you may know for certain in your little pea brain that uh, these people or this group or that person thinks this or expects this of you, you you really don't know. So they are perceived expectations. Right. So I think, you know, we have to acknowledge the fact that a lot, like, it is in our head, this. Um, <laughs> what the hell are we talking about? What's what's the term? Imposter, Imposter syndrome. syndrome. There it is. Right. Um, that it is largely in our heads. It can be kind of reinforced by experiences but it is how we are perceiving and placing ourselves in and among a group that we interact with so yeah because for the most part like if you're at work and there's something you like genuinely don't know like like i don't know how to do this i can't do this most of the time the person in charge of you like they may roll their eyes at you, but that's a way better outcome than you just trying to fake your way through it and hoping it works. Like, like what you boss, can do. It, like what people do all the time because yes. they don't want to be perceived as the person who doesn't know, even though their boss would rather have them go, 
you know, like, like, I don't know how to do this. And their boss would be like, cool, I'm glad you didn't screw it up with your own incompetence. I would rather know and show you how to do it first. Right. Um, and that that's what really makes it self, like, it makes it a really dangerous thing if you think, like, I have to continue this path that I'm down because everybody thinks that I'm here and it needs to do this and it has to keep going and you build and you build and you snowball until you curl into a, a little whimpering ball of whatever it is that you do. Um, well, and think back to your first track day. Uh, if you're in a beginner group, novice group, if you've got a coach or an instructor rather, and you know you go to you go to the first novice meeting and you can definitely sense in the room the people who think that they're too good to be in the meeting, that they know too much, that they've got too much experience. Um, because I think that is likely them protecting themselves. I, I do think some people genuinely think that, but I do think some people put that on to kind of protect themselves from the imposter syndrome like it's like no i'm no i'm good i i don't really need much help i'm fine but it's like you're making it worse like <laughs> that is the imposter syndrome is you playing like you know more than you do and not i don't know how how would you say this not being open and honest about your knowledge skill level and abilities yeah, like be because you think if ever if if all those people in the room think that you don't know what's going on, it will expose you as someone who doesn't know what's going on. Right. Um, and so you have to pretend to be more than you are, which sort of snowballs into a into a thing. Um, where you have been pretending that no, like I'm I'm good at this, I got this, I'm handling it's fine. And then you get strapped in your car and you're ready to go out and you're like, I don't actually know Ooh. where the flag stations are. And that's when you start to freak out. What do you want to bet? I just had this thought when men and women are preparing whatever car that they have to go to their first DE track day. What do you want to bet car prep is absolutely a way that the imposter syndrome shows up? Because if showing up to the meeting, kind of putting on this mask, this armor of I know I know too much to be a beginner or I've got tons of experience or I know what I'm doing, that can also come in the form of a big brake kit for beginner super sticky tires, uh, turbo kit, arrow, kind of all that stuff. So you show up to your first track day with this like fully built track car and slicks on your first track day, <laughs> which it's happened. Oh no, I've seen it. Multiple times. There's right. a reason why we talk about that uh, in beginner and novice emails that go out is... If you show up on slicks, you either better hope that somebody has a set you can borrow, but you don't get to run those. Right. For, I mean, rain reasons aside, but. Right. 
but yeah, I wonder if that that car prep that is can be a physical manifestation of imposter syndrome. That seems reasonable. Yeah, like like mm. that's how I get ready. Like if my car is ready, I'm ready. Sure. Or if my car the- looks like I know what I'm doing, then I will look like I know what I'm doing. Right. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. Okay. So although we get that like I can I can tell you the guys who the guys who show up to ride um tiny motorcycles and you'll talk to a guy guy who shows up on a a 65cc two-stroke okay got bike it's got me yeah, 14 horsepower so weighs 110 pounds has 14 horsepower um and has a power band that's about 600 rpms wide and so you shift like 48 times a lap okay. and the number of guys who i've had several guys show up and they're like no no i ride leader bikes i'll be fine it is a completely different game. Like it is not, I mean, other than the fact that they both have two wheels, it is not the same sport. <laughs> okay. Um, the, the little two stroke bikes want to hurt you and they want to hurt you in ways that you're not used to. And you should really listen to people about what they do. Um, it would be like, if you're like, no, no, I I've, I've time trialed my Mustang. I can drive that shifter cart. Yep. Is, is my best analogy. And I want to be like, I mean, you probably can. You can push pedals and turn a wheel. Right. But that shifter cart wants you to die <laughs> in a way that your Mustang never has. Well, you, uh, your Mustang wants to kill other people. <laughs> shifter right, cart yeah, wants but, to kill you. But, right. But but just, you know, and, and, and that's the thing. If you Have you ever been around people when they're driving shifter carts and listen to how many times they shift? No. It is the most video game thing you've ever seen. It's like and that's what a lap sounds like. Like like every straightaway is five up shifts and then you downshift four times as you go into the braking zone and then it's a short straightaway so it's two up shifts and then one downshift and then another up shift and then three downshifts and then four up shifts and like every time you're doing something with a cart it's like that. And every time you do that, that car wants to spin and kill you every single time. And the the bandwidth you think you have, you don't have. <laughs> right. And okay. the people who are trying to give you advice are trying to protect you. And they're trying to make your day better. And if you go, nah, I got this, you're going to have a bad day. And the people who go from fast cars to shifter carts and have a bad day, is a lot like almost all of them the people who come in to carts and go i would like to drive the slowest cart you will let me drive because eventually i want to drive a shifter cart those people have a way better time so at the beginning i've again i it seems like imposters when we're talking about imposter syndrome is that there is a person that we perceive of the people of a group or whoever to have these expectations of competence right that we know what we're doing we can conduct ourselves in a professional and skilled manner um 
is that true in your experience as being the other people when a novice or beginner shows up? I think your first track day, you look at your instructor and you think, this guy knows what's happening. Like you know, every We've talked every about student, the guru. <laughs> yeah, every student you've had is like, God damn, Scott really knows his shit. It's like, like he's really good. <laughs> I'm getting and, and I think that's real. Like, like I think that's the the problem is when you do have somebody who go who who looks at you, like you can tell that they go that that they think you really know what's going on. They give all the like puppy dog eyes and they're asking you questions and hanging on your every word. And I've had people do that with motorcycles with me. Like I get people sent to me, they're like, Seth will make you good at this. I'm like, shit. <laughs> I mean, maybe. Probably not. I'm I'm pretty bad at motorcycles in general. And and so I hate it when somebody thinks I know what I'm doing. I would rather give them advice just kind of as a peer rather than as an expert. Um, on the same token, I hate it when people act like they don't need my advice. So... Sure. Like, like I'm very conflicted there. Like, if you come to me and you think that I am the second coming of motorcycle coaches as far as tiny motorcycles go, like, all you need to do is have me watch you ride, listen to what's going on. You're going to be doing, like, minute laps. You're going to be the best guy out there. It's going to drive me insane because I do not have the ability to do that. But if I watch you ride three laps and you come in and I walk over to you and I'm like, hey, how are you doing? I was watching a thing. And you go, I ride leader bikes. I'm fine. I also hate that. Like, I need people in the middle to look at me as a peer. And so I think the only time I have imposter syndrome, which makes sense, is is when people are looking up to me. Sure. Well, um, again, for that very reason, is that then you have this perceived expectation that they're that you feel like they're putting out that you need to have your stuff together. Right. What do you think about the uh the perception that GLTC drivers are the shit? Like you guys That is wholly incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> that is false <laughs> through and through. Y'all strut around the paddock like like top gun pilots. So, Girls are swooning. First of all, there are few girls in Paddock. <laughs> uh, there should be a lot more and women. And second of all, um, if you've ever watched the live stream or you've ever watched a weekend race, like it doesn't go perfectly hardly ever. And that is because we are a bunch of ne- Neanderthals. Um, with tiny pea brains <laughs> when we get into cars. But I've seen the, I've been oh, there it's... at a weekend. I was at, at Gingerman one time when you guys did the whole thing where you lined all the cars up and all the drivers like talk to it's people. Weird. You stood there in your fire suits. 
I was people were in not, awe. People like walked yeah. their children up past you and were like, look at the race car driver. I think that was a friend. He was playing it up. Um, <laughs> so I, I've got to think the way that the, the media attention gets put on this, you know, the Instagram, uh, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, you know, what whatever stream it is, whenever it's broadcast or whenever it's like put out in media and pictures and videos and like all these cool looking edits, which grid life does a great job at it makes it seem way cooler than it is and when we talked to uh chris sullivan about this about grid life and the one lap thing like that's the power of a picture that's the power of like a good video edit is it can make things seem cooler than they are and so i think that can help to lend like a mystique about the thing that's not really there. Um, I get it. Like, I totally get what you're saying. And I, I think you're right. Um, but how does that make you feel weird? Um, (laughs) I know that's not very descriptive, but, um, strange. Yeah. It's like, it's like meeting somebody who doesn't know me. And like, oh man, you know, I've like, it's it's the same whenever I meet somebody who like knows me from Instagram. Uh, It's like, yeah, I follow you on Instagram. It's really cool. I'm like, okay, like, tell me about you though. Like, what car do you drive? Like, let's actually like interact here. Cause you know, just showing cool car pictures or like build pictures, like it's a curated part of ourselves that we're intentionally putting out there to make us look cooler and better, like put all the good stuff out there and none of the bad, or at least like the bad stuff is still curated (laughs) to make it seem more human because that is still beneficial to us to look real. Because I've seen the pictures of you where you're like, like before, for a start and you're standing there next to your car you've got your hans on your helmets on your i look visor. cool i look you... objectively cool <laughs> no um, but but behind the mirrored visor other than the fact that you're trying to psych yourself up like you're i don't want to say you're terrified but it like, is not like, what it looks like <laughs> inside the helmet and outside the helmet are way different things yeah, the the only reason that I have, not the only reason, but a secondary reason I have the mirrored visor that I do is so that nobody can see my eyes when I close it. And <laughs> it is a feeling of, I think I've talked about this before, but it's a feeling of, uh, it's like a superpower. I close that visor and it's a clear physical sign to the outside world. I I am putting a barrier between you and I. Not only is it going to be hard to talk to me, you can't even see if I'm awake. Like I could be giving you the stink eye. You have no idea. I'm definitely not giving you the stink eye. Um, Maybe. <laughs> Most likely not. <laughs> I rarely give stink eyes. Um, yeah, but again, like it's it. 
how it looks and how it actually is. Again, that's the perceived part of this whole thing. Uh, it's different. So, so after we've got this perceived expectation of competence, I think so, I think no, this. Like, what? No, I want to go. I want to do this image thing. Okay. Like this image okay. thing is is. I I think it's really. I think it's important because I do think people really care what they look like. Yes. When they are race car drivers. Not only because like when you put a fire suit on for the first time, you feel cool. Like, like yeah, dude, clearly. this feels cool. Clearly. Um, you put on a set of leathers. Like I, I still, I still contend like the first time you put on a set of motorcycle leathers because they have weight. Like they're yeah, my, sure. my leathers weigh like 12 pounds. Like they're, they're heavy. Good God. Okay. And, and you feel like it's like putting on a suit of armor. Right, like you're literally dressed to go slide down the asphalt at, at 80 miles an hour, yep. and and nothing makes you feel cooler than that. Like, think of what it was like to be a knight back in the day. Oh, I had to be on the that same thing. shiny armor that was like adorned with your family crest. Like, get yeah, fucked. That's cool. It must have been so. I'm like, gonna to get on so my many... steed with yeah, my like squire. <laughs> <laughs> Your squires strapping you in and like, oh, yeah. My lord, do, do you want the pointy one this time? <laughs> yes, Roderick. <laughs> like, but again, like, and those guys could actively be killed like within 30 seconds of putting all right. that crap on. Yeah, they had to be, they had to like put forth this air of, of, of confidence and I know what I'm doing and I'm going to go like, harpoon this other dude (laughs) but inside that helmet like they you have to feel the same thing like why am i on this horse what am i doing there's no way i should be the one here on this horse stabbing that guy or you've utterly i think and i think this is part of what comes in is like you have to convince yourself that this is where i belong nothing bad's going to happen to me today we can win this Sure. So that's is that sort of the overcoming imposter syndrome thing is is like convincing yourself <laughs> of your own competence. God, this is really the thesis of the sh- our, our entire show is us just lying to ourselves constantly. <laughs> oh yeah, hundred percent. Um, I I think that that can be one of the reactions, and that's kind of where I was going with after the perceived um, expectation is like we've we've got the choice. Uh, we can either per, um, pretend to live up to it, which would be the people in the novice group thinking, you know, and putting on the air of uh, competence and having experience when experience is not there. Um, I think you can also go the way of Seth and absolutely almost swing the other way you can play incompetent (laughs) no yeah Um, i do that all the time which i think would help to disarm whatever perceived expectations are there um but i think also kind of would swing the relationship or the dynamic uh in that particular way 
on the other hand, like you could just be honest about like who you are because Seth, you're not incompetent and you do have an idea of what you're doing some of the time. Occasionally. So it's like it's, it's you're somewhere in the middle and as is everyone. I'll spend my entire life in the middle. Right. I mean, you can be a surgeon and you come to the track for the first time and there are skills that you can pull on from being a surgeon that will absolutely lend themselves to decision-making on the track and hand-eye coordination and all that sort of stuff. Like, there are things that we all bring, especially the first weekend, but, you know, throughout. None of us are incompetent. Otherwise, we just wouldn't be invited back. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Because we'd be crashing us and everyone all the time. If you go to a second weekend, you probably have some level of competence. Um, But nor are any of us... Um, perfect. I can't even say competent, but perfect. We right. all make mistakes. Uh, any level of driver that you see anywhere for any race makes so many mistakes. <laughs> um, but it's whether you notice them or not. It's whether you can see them or not. It's it's how they recover from them. That that's that's what we're really impressed by. It's not that. We're impressed that they didn't make any mistakes. We're impressed that they saw the mistake coming, were able to correct what they were doing, and continue in such a high-performance envelope that it almost looked like it was on purpose. <laughs> so that that makes me think of when we were talking to Aaron Lichty last week, and he, was, he mentioned that the, the guy in first often did not have the best time. Right. And and I think there there are times when the you you stand up and you get your first place trophy and everybody's like that was an amazing race. You were phenomenal and all you can think of was actually I was like I won but I was kind of crap. It was phenomenal from your point of view. Right. And right. in my feeling of what I did was like I really didn't deserve to win cuz I really wasn't nearly as good at that as I wanted to be. Sure. And by by having them actually win, they feel worse about it. Like if if you kind of had a crap race and you squeaked out a third, you're like, whew, it was a bad race. But man, like I'm I'm glad I, I, I managed to get that position. But if you kind of had a crap race and you won, like if you feel like you kind of had a crap race and you won, like, dude, that feels bad. Yeah. Remember me after Blackhawk. Yeah. <laughs> you remember <Yep>. that? <laughs> yeah. I, I I won some races at Blackhawk and I didn't really feel great about it. It's no. freaking bizarre. Yeah, I and I think and that's I think, go ahead. No, but I think that's a big part of imposter syndrome, right? You standing up and having people people tell you like like not just to stand you on the podium and say here's first you're amazing but to have friends of yours go good job that was a good race you did good and and to have to go but i'm not like in your own head go but 
but I'm not like all of you people are telling me this and I'm not feeling it, which is the core of imposter syndrome, right? You know, I used to think that, and you see this in racing and like any sporting event that, Hey, your team just won this national championship. How do you feel? Or you just won this race. How do you feel? I used to think that was a really dumb question <laughs> because <laughs> like I just won. I feel great. Like, yeah, I'm a winner, yeah, man. I just beat everybody. Like, of course I feel good. The definition of a man, you know, what, <laughs> whatever that needs to be. But now maybe that's like the most empathetic human thing that we can do after something that the wider culture deems as superior or something to strive after is like just state of fact, Hey, you just got your first top 10 this year. How do you feel about it? Because the answer might be, I feel like buying beers for everybody. (laughs) Right. It could be, I feel like crap because lap to turn four, I accidentally or I unintentionally bumped somebody and I got by them. And that's, you know, kind of what, like, I didn't do it the way that I wanted to. Right. Or the car didn't feel good. So it's like I was struggling. Like, there could be all sorts of things. So maybe the best, like most empathetic response we could be is not a statement, but is more of a, a question. Yeah. And maybe we should extend that to, to real life. Like it's, it's easy to look at somebody, friends of yours who, you know, are having a rough time and being like, dude, you doing okay. Because you know that the answer is probably not. Yes. Like, like when you know somebody's not doing okay, that's an easy question to ask, right? Maybe. I still don't think it's easy, but yeah, I see what you're saying. But if, like, you've got somebody who's, like, got their shit together, is doing well, is winning, to walk up to them and be like, you doing okay? And have them answer you honestly, because a lot of the time they'll be like, I mean, kind of. But also, this is a struggle. Yeah. Because almost nobody, I mean, we, we all answer, we all we all lie, and we go, yeah, doing fine. Like, regardless, we go, yeah, doing fine. But, like, everybody is struggling with something. It's just, if you don't look like you're struggling, we don't ask you. Um, and it's really easy for me to ask my friends that I know are struggling if they're struggling. Well, yeah, that, I think that's where I would want to go. It's like, like you said, if it looks like you're doing well, nobody asks. And if it looks like you aren't doing well, nobody asks. Because I don't think many people. Because they don't want the answer. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think they really like want to enter into what it would take to hear and like sit with that person. Because that, again, like what you encounter is more yourself and your own traumas that you've been through, through that person. Right. And in full honesty, like when I've been at tracks and you've bumped other cars or other cars have bumped you and you've come off track and I could see in your eyes that it's not okay. And I ask you like, are you okay? 
I'm really just asking, are you physically okay? Because I don't really want to talk about, like, are you okay in right. this moment? Right. Just like, I just want to, like, is your neck fine? Yeah. Your neck fine? Emotionally, we'll talk about this later. Yeah. How are you physically? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A little question of knowing, but also still a question. Yeah, I, and I don't know... I don't want this to be like a message of like, well, you just need to be yourself. You know, you just need to do the American thing and like just be your authentic self. Um, because to be honest, like that requires a depth of self-knowledge that few of us have. Um, but I think, especially when entering into anything new, whether it's a promotion, a new job, a marriage, um, hell, a divorce, going into anything new, your first novice track day, that you need, that it would really be beneficial to know why you're there and what you would like to get out of it. Like just kind of as a baseline. Like why, why go to a track event? Like there's a whole lot of people with a whole lot of different answers. You answer, you ask a hundred people, I think you'll get a hundred different answers. It's cool. Like I want to go fast. I want to feel adrenaline, or um, I really like the way that it just puts me in the present moment, and like I can't get out of it, and that's like really good and refreshing to me. Um, like wh- whatever that is, whatever reason it is, like write it down, like make a note, you know, but ask that question of yourself before you go. And then what do you hope for after going? Like, do you hope that it's going to change your life? Um, that this experience is going to move you, uh, is going to make you feel more alive is, you know, going to do these things. I think just by those two questions, I think and like kind of owning them, like putting them on, like that's, that's the, the t-shirt that you wear for the day. Seth will make you a t-shirt on the front. It'll be why you're there on the back. It'll be what you hope for. <laughs> um, it'd be a great shirt. Yep. We <laughs> would like just fill in the blank. It can be a dry erase. You can change it on day yeah. two when you're exhausted and like your brain's melting. I hope to survive. Uh, I hope to get out of this weekend. Yeah. What do you hope to get out of this weekend? Yes, I hope to get out of this weekend. <laughs> that's that's all. I want to drive home in the car that I arrived in. Like, I think that's a that's a very fair and open hope. <laughs> yeah. Good. Sometimes I wish more people had that hope <laughs> explicitly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think at that point that just helps to put you in you. I don't know if that makes sense, but like it would seem like it would get yourself out of how you perceive other people are going to be looking at you when you get there. And it just puts you, it asks that the hardest question you can ask of anybody is what do you want? Well, do you think you can ask your students that? 
because I know you you sometimes have contact with students I do. prior to a weekend. Do you ask them that? Yes. Yeah. Um, how now, did they reach? Now I don't ask the question. Why are you here? <laughs> okay. Um, that usually that that sometimes is a very hard question to ask. Like it could just be something new. Like for me, when I started, it was because it was the one thing that I could do at that time in my life where I was not accountable to anybody else. And in every other aspect of my life, I was accountable to somebody or something. And this was That's like heavy. Yeah. And, and like, I knew that's, that's why I was doing it at the time. Um, and that gave me a lot of free. I mean, when I showed up to Gingerman Raceway on my very stock Miata with uh, brake lines, some basic fluid, and really meh front pads. Rear pads were stock. That was a mistake. <laughs> and all season tires. And you knew you wanted to do something for Scott. Yes. Yeah. Um, and like what I wanted to get out of it is like, just wanted to learn how to do it better. Like how, how do I, like I, I had some track, like basic track experience from like years before some car control skills that, you know, did lend themselves well, but like I was very aware of the car that I was in, like was not going to impress anybody, but like there are many Miatas like it, but this one is mine. <laughs> right. You know? Um, but I mean, ever since like it, you can also get away with that. I, I certainly have like kind of go in and out. And especially when you start competing, because then you are, so easily to directly compare yourself with the people around you. And there's al the, the, always grass that's greener. It's like, man, it's like, sweet. I just said a new personal best. I'm now at this part of the field. Crap. There's still these other people in front of me. Yeah, there's still 14 people in front right. of me. And as we've learned, like from many time winners and consistent top five drivers, like you're up there, but like, Winning is the goal, but once you've won, well, let's see if we can do two back-to-back. -back. Well, can right. I sweep a weekend? Ooh, can I sweep back-to-back -back weekends? Can I win in such a dominant fashion that, like, I'm untouchable for the week? You know, it's like there's always a – you can never win motorsports. Like, no. really. Just like you can't win – golf you can have the best stroke of the day you can have the best set of laps over the course of a race which puts you in first place but you don't win like you can't like set the new track record and just be like done motorsports is done <laughs> i just beat it today everyone pack your shit up go home because <laughs> i finished it i beat the game doesn't happen no well the, the game doesn't 
Um, I, I think that's the thing is like in like in any sport, you like there's going to be another weekend. Right. And those guys that you just beat are going to come back and want to like they want to win. So, yeah, I don't I don't know why I drive anymore. Yeah, you mentioned that today. Um, yeah, it's it's something I've been I've been dealing with for I mean, arguably for a couple of years, right? Because I haven't um I haven't driven on track other than one lap in uh two and a half years, something like that. Like that, the only time I've driven on track has been one lap. That didn't really light the fire under you. Um, no, like I didn't do one lap last year and want to come home and get back out on track. As a matter of fact, I the the accord is up for inspection right now. And so I looked at it. I have filled it up with I've put gas in the tank once in the last year. That was in April of last year. Jesus. And I have since I since I write down all my my fills because I do that just to keep track of oil changes and maintenance on the car. I also put down every time I put gas in the car. I've put 134 miles in the car since April of last year. That gas is probably due to get changed. <laughs> uh, yeah, like it's it's I I do need to to drive the gas, but it, I I start it every now and again um and let the car warm up like every every month or 6 weeks the car gets started and warmed up and it and it does fine. Car still runs. I drive it around the block. Car still runs fine. And of those 134 miles, a bunch of them are 6 miles to the track and 6 miles back. Um because I will occasionally use it to tow tiny motorcycles just as a way to to exercise the car. But I don't use the car. It is a track car. Like fundamentally it is a track car. Um I don't use the car as a track car. I don't want to use the car as a track car. Um I don't want to prep it for a track weekend. Um, and you have, like, and you have other cars that you drive around. Yeah, it's it, it is fun to drive around, but, but it's redundant. It, it's redundant, and and I don't. So the first time I drove on track, the very first time I drove on track was after I bought my Cadillac, and a good friend of mine, Richard, said we should do one lap. And at that time, he was a a time trial director for NASA. Um. And I hadn't, I hadn't really seriously, I had, I'd been offhand thinking of doing um, track stuff in my Mazda 2 before it died. Um, and then the Mazda 2 ended up on its roof and I was like, ah, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then I did some other stuff and then he just said, we should do this. And I said, all right, well, I got to sign up for a track weekend. And I went out and, and I did it. And I'm not sure I, I'm, as a matter of fact, I'm sure I didn't really analyze why I thought I needed to do that other than... One lap was a thing that I had been reading about for my entire life that I knew about cars. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to do it because it was a thing that I wanted to do. It was the mountain that was there. Yeah, like it was it was like, of course, if somebody gives you a chance to do it and one lap existing is giving you a chance to do it then you say yes and you go do it. And and the reason I did a track day was to do things for one lap. Um, and with no other deeper meaning than that, like, did I expect to get anything out of it? I expected to get experience out of it such that I could go do one lap. Now, I sort of fell down a rabbit hole and I did every NASA event between that event and when one lap happened. So I did like, Seven, six or seven full NASA weekends 
prior to doing one lap. Um, I had a time trial license prior to starting one lap that year. Um, that's how quickly they progressed me. And I've talked about that before too. So like I fell down the rabbit hole of that because I enjoyed, I did enjoy the act of driving. I enjoyed the, I enjoyed being around the people um, at that point in my life with, with fairly little kids at home. I, I did enjoy the time away. I enjoyed a thing that was mine um, and people that were outside of my family like like it let i felt like it let me be me in a way that i couldn't be otherwise um so has been hanging out with like as as you kind of progressed and like you've done the one lap several times now you will be seven six or seven yeah like you've been around race car drivers you've been around like all these people who I'll say take it more seriously than you do and like have devoted more time and resources into it. Have you kind of realized, and again, like I'm, I'm trying to kind of keep this in touch with the imposter syndrome. Like, have you just realized that like, this isn't you? I don't think I'm a race car driver in the same way you are. And I say you specifically you, but also you as like yeah. you people. Um, what, you know, what talking you mean about you that people exactly, yeah. <laughs> but specifically, like, like, and it's not just the fact that you've done more, like, you've done wheel to wheel, and you've done like right. if somebody looks at our racing resumes, they'd go, "Of course, you feel like less of a race car driver than Scott because Scott does race car driving stuff." Sure, but I no longer feel like a race car driver like you are. Because I feel like driving on track is not important to me in the way that it's important to you. And that makes me feel like I'm not a race car driver anymore. Yeah. Um, even though like, I have a full resume of stuff, you know, I like I've driven a bunch on track. I held the time trial license. I'm going to do one lap this year. I've driven on whatever it is. 20 some tracks around the country like i can talk about tracks i can talk about road america and road atlanta and and sebring and like i can talk about a whole bunch of legitimately significant tracks with people because i've done at least a couple laps around them sometimes in reasonable cars you know i've driven a car into a wall i've done all of those things that that for most you've, you've checked the boxes <laughs> i've checked the boxes but but like i can have reasonable knowledgeable conversations with most people who consider themselves like like are you a track driver yes cool you and i can talk about stuff right because we've done we've done these things we've climbed this mountain you know at separate times but we've both been up the mountain like we know what it feels like if you've ever climbed above tree line like like that moment where you've climbed high enough right that you climb and you're above the trees and then you're above the plants and then all it is is rock and snow and like you've had those experiences that you can only have if you've done these things. Mm -hmm. I've done those things. And so I should feel like I'm still a race car driver because I can talk about those things, but I don't, when I'm in the presence of you guys, I don't feel like I am anymore. Not because of my skill in a car, 
but because it doesn't like I do feel imposter syndrome around you guys now because because the majority of you guys like like when I'm in paddock at a grid life event you treat me as a peer and I don't feel like a peer anymore because I don't feel that driving means to me the same thing it means to you guys and so that makes me not feel like a peer Mm. um even though you like you never treat me that i i mean you know i haven't really driven in two years you don't treat me like i'm less of a driver but i feel like i'm less of a driver there's my there's my real life imposter syndrome going on with that in the in the fact is like like I could rekindle it. I could go out and I could get the the car ready and I could do that. And I don't want to. Um, sure. Like I don't want to be excited about driving anymore. I think that's really healthy, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> like it's, I and I can't even say it's sad, like. Because that would be my feeling about your feeling about a thing. And like that's... Well, I'm not going away. Like, it's not like I'm quitting driving and I'm going away and you don't get to see me anymore. But like, if if it's not that big of a deal to you, like, it can't... Like, I don't feel sad about it. I don't feel sad about you feeling that way about it. Like, it just seems like the next step to just the next thing. Yeah. So Realistically, I'm I'm more excited about the fact that I think I figured out how to make uh, a really good meatball recipe <laughs> that I can bring to the track. And if I can find an outlet, like I could freeze them right. and bring a crock pot, and then as you long as I can find an outlet, this. yeah, yeah, like like I'm super excited. I was like, I think I could make a legitimately good track meal doing all this stuff at home, and I'm I am honest to God excited about that, like. Yeah talking to my wife about that and planning for it. And I have no desire to do any car stuff. <laughs> Which is good because I have no desire to prep food uh, for any given weekend. <laughs> that is not something I'm passionate about. <laughs> well, I guess, um, I guess that'd be the questions to the listeners would be, why do you drive on track? Like for you, why why do you drive on track? What do you get out of it? Um, what are the things that keep you there? And then just what do you hope for by doing it? Um, and you may not be able to answer right now or like make a comment, but think on it. And maybe if you would be kind, so kind enough as to share what you find, I think that would be interesting. Because yep. that would be interesting. It would be. I would like to hear that. I would like to have that discussion. Yeah. Well, uh, one of the best things you can do as a listener, if you enjoy our show, is to share your favorite episode um, with somebody or this episode. Even if you don't like it that much, that'd be fine too. <laughs> um we are at Trackwalking Podcast on about everything. Trackwalking Chats is the group where we share and uh, poke fun at each other and uh, things of that nature. So, uh, for the two of us, until next time, I'm Scott. And I'm Seth. We're Trackwalking. Walking.